0: Welcome to the Peace Over Pieces podcast, hosted by Clara Baldwin. Peace Over Pieces is a non-profit domestic violence organization creating podcasts with victims while providing donations, hotline information, and resources. If you or anyone you know is in need of financial or emotional assistance related to domestic abuse, please visit our website for contact information. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the next episode.
1: All right. Hi, everyone. I have a special guest on today. Her name is Chrissy Long. She is a 30-year-old stay-at-home mother of three, married to her husband for five years and raising her family in mid-Missouri, just like me. Hi, Chrissy. Hi. I actually had no idea that you were... Are you in Columbia right now? No, near Jeff City. Oh, okay. I had no idea. Yeah. That's so strange because I never interview people around here. I mean, lately, I kind of really? have. But yeah, I just thought... I had no idea. I thought you were far from me, and I was expecting this to be a guest from out of state. But yeah, it says you go to a Columbia College right now.
0: Um, I did. So I got my associate's degree from there, and then... I'm hoping I just have a few more classes for my bachelor's. So one day I will get that. I'm not going to give up on that. (laughs) Oh, I love that. What did you major in? Human services. Okay, yeah. What are you going to do with that? So originally I have worked with... Well, growing up, my mom always worked with the elderly. And then I worked at a nursing home in high school for four or five years and like even out of high school. And that was just my niche. I love it. I love the elderly. But then also now I've definitely have thought about working with intellectually disabled. So one of those two, but anything to help, you know, a certain group in need.
1: Yes, yes. No, yeah, that's amazing. It's definitely the best work to help others. I actually most of the time enjoy my nonprofit more than my normal day job. It's just so fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me. For those who don't know, we have been going back and forth for quite a bit now. I know that uh, you've been through quite a lot in the past few years and we've been communicating about sharing your story, but you know, there's been some bumps in the road, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time out and even willing to share your story. Yes,
0: you know, this is seven years in the making And honestly, from the minute I woke up from the worst assault that I experienced, I told myself, like, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to tell my story one day. And, you know, I didn't think that it would take seven years, but it did. And I am so excited that I'm finally sharing my story. I'm
1: excited for you. Yeah, there's definitely no time limit on sharing a story and when you're ready and when you're done healing enough to be able to, it's very tough. And I know for me, I I wasn't even the direct victim and abuse. I mean, for some of it, but mostly my mom. And it took me a really long time to get to that story. And I feel like everyone who's come on this podcast as well, it takes them quite a bit of time. And sometimes it takes us about three tries to schedule and then they'll they'll film with me. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. So don't think it's uncommon. It is definitely more common than uncommon for sure. Yeah. I
0: told my husband, I was like i'm gonna reach out to her again and i hope that she'll accept me because i've (laughs) i've punked out on her three times.
1: No, (laughs) no, never, never. I completely understand and I'd be the same way I was at first as well. Uh, But yeah, so how about we just jump into it? Let's start a little bit about you in the start. Where are you from? Share a little bit about yourself besides what I've said.
0: Yeah, so I was actually born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I was raised by my mother and my Aunt Kathy. My parents got divorced when... I was a baby and there was me and my sister. My sister's four years older than me. My father was abusive to my mother and then he was never around other than he did pay child support to keep himself out of jail. But other than that, he was completely out of our lives. And then I ended up in Missouri because my very best friend growing up from childhood moved to Missouri. And so I decided when I was 20 years old, I had tried a college in Ohio that I didn't like. And then I decided to come out here to Missouri and go to Columbia College and see how I liked it. And I've been here ever since.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I know we spoke a little bit about about your story. I still don't have an entire idea of it, which I like going into podcasts really not knowing because it's almost like we're sitting over a cup of coffee telling a story, but Yeah. Yeah, if we so you went to college um and obviously you're here for a reason to share your story. When did your abusive situation happened? Was it before or after college? Could you kind of paint us a picture of who you were, what age you were when this all started?
0: Yeah, so I was 22 years old. I had just turned 22, and I was still working on my associate's degree, but technically I was going for my bachelor's, but it just worked out to where all the classes that I took, it worked out to where I got my associate's while working on my bachelor's. right, So I was 22 years old. I had my own apartment, paid my bills on time, had a reliable car. I worked full-time at FedEx office. I worked part-time at Applebee's, and I was a full-time college student. I loved running at the time. I was very fit. And then Brett came into my life, and the red flags, I mean, it was right off the bat from the very, very beginning. Where did you guys meet? We met through someone I worked with at Applebee's.
1: Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And his name's Brett.
0: Yes. And it was like two months into us meeting that he was like, Well, you're over my house a lot. And I, don't, like, it's not fair that, like, you don't split the bills, that you don't split the water bills and the electric bill. (laughs) And Mm. I'm like, what? Wow! (laughs) Like, I sleep over your house. Like, that's crazy. And so he was like, you either need to move in or, like, we're gonna stop seeing each other. Oh, no. And so I left the apartment that I absolutely adored and, Moved to this super small town of Russellville, Missouri. Population, I don't know, like 1,200 maybe? Yeah, I think I've heard of it. Uh Uh-huh, very small. Yes. And into the house that he rented from his parents. So technically, we were renting from his parents. And even the first obvious, like... You think that, like, sometimes people think of, like, red flags as, you know, little signs. Like, the first red flag for Brett was he picked me up from a wedding that I went to with my good friends, and he was driving my car. His best friend was in the front seat, and I had drinks, a wedding, and I was, quote-unquote, talking too much and he backhanded me right in front of his friend like no big deal his friend didn't say anything i was just in absolute shock i had i have i had never been hit in my life you know right. let
1: alone by a man so that was the first encounter yeah 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 okay wow so how did you react to that
0: it was so surreal like we went back to his house and I'm sorry, but, like, there is something in that—the water in that town that, like, people—it's just, like, so accepted, and it's wild. So, we went back to his place, and with his best friend, and then his best friend's girlfriend came over, and she's like, oh— like, no big deal. You got to get ice on that. Like, ugh, Brett's such a what? jerk. Like, let me get you some ice for that.
1: Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of like small town where it's just an unsaid thing.
0: Yeah. Like, whereas, you know, if one of my friends would have known about that, they'd be like, you're never seeing him again. Like, right? What? right. this is outrageous. Like, or call the cops, you know, like.
1: Yeah. Right off the bat, he's showing you really big signs. Um, But obviously, you know, some people might not understand, but it's just like, yeah, you are in shock and surreal. And you probably felt crazy surrounded by people not really reacting to it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And then... So you um, probably carried on. Yeah. Yeah. It just was like a normal night. And like, eventually, I think there was like jokes made about it. Like, and we were all joking about it. Like...
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It was... And so that was a few weeks before I had contacted my landlord to let him know that I was going to be moving out. And that was a couple weeks before I actually officially moved into his house. And so looking back now, I'm just like, what were you thinking, Kristen? Like, mm-hmm. you had every opportunity in the world. Like, my landlord loved me. Like, all I had to say is, hey, I'm not moving out. And he'd be like, okay, great. I'm happy to hear it, you know? Right. And yeah. I still moved into
1: his place. It, it happens. I mean, that's so hard. But yeah, I feel like, you know, of course, the age plays a role. And it might be one of your first, you know, serious relationships and, he probably made you feel like it was non option, like you said before. So that's tough. So, yeah. I mean, you probably look back before and see so much regret.
0: Yeah. I mean, because what I had, like, I mean, and then it was just everything on myself just slowly dwindled away. Like, you know, I loved running. Like, I stopped going to the gym every night and I stopped doing this and I stopped doing that, you know, yeah, things that were so me.
1: Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot in abusive relationships. It's isolating. And I mean... I've seen it before with my family, you just lose all your hobbies and likes and friends yes. and family and suddenly it's just it's just you and you and them. Yeah. Yeah. So so now you're living with him full time, you're kind of dwindling out all your hobbies. So do you have like a timeline in your head how long this was you were living with him and kind of when was the peak of of when things were getting really bad?
0: So I mean one major thing was We got a puppy together, Augie, who is my beloved dog. I still have him to this day. We adopted him in October, so that fall following. And then that was really, really what cemented me in the relationship. And I don't know if you've, you know, done any research or heard of, there's like so many domestic violence victims who... Their animals are what makes them say, you know, you hear all the time. Yeah, like you hear, you Mm -hmm. know, the kids are what keeps you there and stuff like that. But animals are a huge, huge thing because my dog was all I had. My dog was the only one who knew the truth, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's your child. Yeah. Augie witnessed everything. Augie was the only one who really really knew what was going on. No one else, right. you know. Aww. He was the one who was there after a beating, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, for example, um, like one thing I always think about is he's a pit bull. And so a lot of people are like, how did he never like, sick brett you know like how did he never attack him sure and i'm like dogs are smart and i know that augie knew that if he attacked brett brett would have killed the dog you know to get at me right And so Augie sat back and watched it. And then he was there for me after. And that's what I needed. I mean, you know, crazy what an animal can do for you. No, I love that you brought that up because
1: I actually, I think I saw a TikTok the other day and it was a woman who got out of a situation and she kind of zoomed in on her puppy. And basically like, I forgot what the caption was saying, but basically like he was the one there for her throughout everything. And yeah, I did read some statistics of like how, Pets are a big factor in yeah. like separation and the isolation as well. And almost blackmail, I've heard of some victims saying oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah, like,
0: absolutely. Well, I have a story later on about the blackmail of Augie. So that's when, you know, I really felt cemented. And then it was two years that we were together. And the meetings were about every month to two months that there was a big you know, blow up. The first one that I was hospitalized for came that following May. So after a year of being together and it was the day before Mother's Day and we had gone out to the bars and we got home. I was so terrified for my life that We had, you know, a decent amount of, like, just a clear path of land. Like, it wasn't our land, but, like, behind our house. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got home, I knew that, you know, something terrible was going to happen to me. So, I literally, I didn't have shoes on. And as soon as he parked the car, I booked it. I got out of the car and I just started started running through the field and I was going to run towards route C which is a two-lane highway and I was just going to run towards my grandma's house which you know it probably would have taken me half the night or hope that someone you know saw me walking before then and unfortunately he caught me like he caught up to me as I was running and he drug me like a hog like an animal he drug me I was face down in the grass he drug me by my feet up through this whole entire field oh, gosh and up our stairwell like up wooden stairs, which was three wooden stairs and into the house. And then, I mean, what happened in between was a blur, but just kind of throwing me around. And then he threw me through um, a wooden door frame and our house, the house was um, built in like 1900. So this was solid wood you know mm-hmm. solid everything and oh he busted my chin open and then um it was gushing blood like nothing i have ever experienced before and he he left and he took my cell phone and so by the grace of god i came across my Kindle. I came across my Kindle, and it had Facebook on it. And Mm -hmm. I contacted three of my friends, Rachel, Jessica, and Kimberly, trying to get a hold of them. And Rachel, who I think they were all mothers at the time, but Rachel was a mom and a mother of a boy, and she was like, Kristen, you need to go to the emergency room That is like you need stitches yeah, because it was just gaping open. And I was like, I am not leaving without Augie. I was not leaving without the dog. And she's like, Kristen, I am coming to get you. You are going to the hospital. And I was like, fine, but I'm not leaving without Augie. I'm not leaving without Augie. And it was like five or 10 minutes of us going back and forth. And she's like, okay, we can take the damn dog <laughs> with us. Yeah, and because you knew
1: something was going to happen.
0: Yeah, like if we didn't get back together, that he would keep the dog or whatnot. And so right. she showed up with her little like Honda Civic and my big 80-pound dog sat in the back seat for mm-hmm. uh, like four hours while we were in the emergency room. And I think I needed like 15 stitches. Oh my gosh. And... I had bruises all over my chest, bruises all over my knees. So the embarrassment I felt because you knew the nurse knew and you knew the doctor knew, you know, right. But they can't force you to say who did this to you. They can't. So
1: they don't even ask questions yeah, and they, they don't they can't intrude at all. They can't pull you
0: out to be, you know, lying. Mm, and, I didn't know that. And that's one thing that, like, I've seen. Um, Like some advocacy, like people fighting for family physicians and ER doctors, like being a more educational point that they learn about on like how to, you know, scope that out and what to do, you know, what can they do to maybe persuade you to talk more or, you know, tell the truth about what happened, bring in you know, a, a police officer to ask you what happened. Right. That's what I thought they
1: did, but I guess not.
0: No, it was just so sad and so embarrassing because the look in his eyes, you know, he knew and can't even imagine. Yeah. And then I was in between insurances Because I had just switched jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I was in between health insurance. And so my ER bill was going to be something like $2,000. And so as Brett was like begging me to come back, he had said he was like his parents were already doing what they could to cover up what he had done and make sure that he wouldn't get in trouble for it legally. And so, seriously? yes. And wow. so, his grandmother, who I know was abused her whole entire life by his grandfather, his grandmother offered to pay my emergency room bill. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm like, the only person that's going to be paying for it is Brett. And I will make sure of that, you know. Right. I'm pretty sure Brett's dad came over. He was like, If you go to the cops, this is going to be what happens to Brett and blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh. It was just absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And so then, you know, the year passed and continued abuse and another big incident that happened after the stitches was the week before Thanksgiving. And I am really, really big about I just love Christmas, and I love decorating for Christmas, and I love Christmas trees. Yeah. And I've done that since, you know, my first apartment. That's my favorite time of the year. And so the one night I was decorating the tree, and Brett was out at the bars, and, you know, I had begged him, like, I had told him, like, this is the night we're doing the tree, and, you know, I begged him to come home, and blah, 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 and he came home, and he was super drunk um and we got into an argument and I never ever ever like I never would fight back just because I was so terrified of him right and this particular incident I don't know how it came up I think I had like done research on his dad's criminal history because his dad's a woman beater too Mm -hmm. and i had like found research that his father had just beaten his mother to the pulp and that's why she left and she was never part of brett's life
1: so you brought that up in a fight with him? yes
0: and so he threw the Christmas tree through French doors. You can see that. And he, like, breaking glass, and then he threw me down to the ground, and I got up and I scratched him, like, literally, like, scratched his chest. So I, I called the cops, and I was like, "This there's domestic violence incident, and I need someone here. And so the cops show up 15 minutes later because we live in a small town, so it takes them 15 minutes to get to us. And in that time period, he had called his parents. His parents were at the bar up the road. And by the time his parents showed up, Brett was in handcuffs on the front porch. Well, Brett's dad knew the officer. And the officer... They let the parents come into the house, and his parents screamed at me and told me that I needed to fix it, that I needed to tell the cops that Brett didn't put his hands on me, blah, blah, blah. And so oh my gosh, the cops separated us, and a separate cop talked to me, and I said, no, he didn't do anything to me. And I didn't have marks on me because he pushed me, right. and he had a couple scratches on him. They took the handcuffs off him, and I spent a night in jail. What? Yes.
1: But oh I guess the first incident where he was dragging you, like you you guys didn't even call the no, cops. No, we did didn't you? even
0: call the cops at that point. Okay, yeah.
1: so wow. Yeah. That's so sad.
0: So I spent night in jail. It was the most terrifying thing in the world. And then like the family like shunned me for that incident. And then months passed, you know, things didn't get better.
1: Okay, so for the for the listeners like, I'm just going from probably, you know, third-party view. So you're with him after the second incident. Yes. What can you explain to them? Like, why are you still with him? Was it just manipulation, isolation, like nowhere to go?
0: Isolation. I felt like I had nowhere to go, but I did, you know? Yeah. You think you have nowhere to go. You think that you're so helpless. Yeah, of that you have to stay, but you don't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's like a bubble. Yeah. It's just sucking you in. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the
0: dog. Like I, right. I knew that it would be like Mission Impossible to find a place that I could afford, that would right accept the financial, pimple, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so you know, months passed, and then it was Father's Day, and I had gotten dressed up. We were getting ready to go to the lake for um, Father's Day lunch. Blah blah blah. Um, and we had gotten into a fight outside our house, and Brett threw the plastics, like, center council thing, like, in a truck. He, like, ripped it out, (laughs) and he threw it at me and busted my leg open. Um, and he, like, called me, I don't know, like, horrible name, like, a fat cow or something. I weighed, like, a 100 pounds, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But... I was like, okay, like, this is it. And so he was like, no, you're coming with me. Like, I'm not showing up alone. You're coming, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I ended up going. But at that moment, like, I have no idea what it was. I have no idea, you know, what came across me. But I was like, I'm done. Like, this is it. Wow, yeah. Okay. That was um, a week before... The actual incident. So I I know this is common and I'm not ashamed to say that like never once in our relationship did I talk to another guy, you know, cheat on Brett, nothing like that. Like never did I dare. But I know now like that this is a common like way that like women get encouraged to leave is by talking to other guys, you know, having like male encouragement Sure. Yeah, I know. You know.
1: Uh
0: Um, And so I was texting other guys and like Snapchat and blah, blah, blah. And Brett had found out. And so this is like one week between Father's Day and then the actual assault. And so I ended up, which I had never, ever done, ended up leaving one night and not coming home. And he was going crazy, like trying to figure out where I was, begged me to come home, bought me the Keurig that I had been wanting. Of
1: course. Why do they do that? They always buy gifts.
0: Yeah. And so I ended up going home. And I was taking a shower at home, and I had hidden my phone, like, under our couch. Like, I was charging it, but it was hidden under the couch. Mm -hmm. And I was in the shower, and he found my phone, and he read texts between me and my best friends and me talking about other guys. And he came in the bathroom, and he confronted me. And I can tell you that is this... Scariest moment of my whole entire life, you know, because I was naked, vulnerable. What was I supposed Mm -hmm. to do, you know, if he came to attack me? Because I literally in my head was so scared that I was like, should I run out of the house naked? Like, that's how terrified I was in that moment. What is he going to do to me? Oh, my gosh. So then the table turned and it flipped into oh, I'm so sorry. I want to stay together, blah, blah, blah. Please don't leave me. I'll do anything. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I literally in my head was like, I'm going to get my ducks in a row because I know the most dangerous time. I knew the most dangerous time to leave an abusive relationship is, when you're trying to leave. Right, of course. Like, that is the most dangerous time in the relationship. So I was like, I'm going to get my ducks in the row. You know, I'm going to save up money, find an apartment, blah, blah, blah. Um, my car was having troubles. And so I was using his car half the time, you know. Yeah. And so things like that. But I was like. There's just
1: a lot. Yeah. To think about. But uh-huh. I was like,
0: but I'm leaving. And so it was Saturday night and he wanted to go out on a date night because I always wanted date nights. Like I always wanted that, but he like never gave that to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we started out at El Jimador Mexican restaurant, and then we went to a bar in California, which is another small town, like kind of close to Russellville. And then we ended up at the Russellville bar. And also that morning, I was laying out. So I had had drinks while I was laying out, like, suntanning. And then, like, he was smoking pot, like, up until the time we went out to dinner. So he was smoking pot all day. And one thing that, like, they actually brought it up in trial and stuff. But, like, one thing that was different with Brett was, like, pot didn't calm Brett down. It would aggravate like that he,
1: is so weird you're saying this this is exactly what my dad did really so he would smoke pot and it would make him so mean yes. and aggressive and crazy yes yeah because i i studied this too and it's with people with like anger problems bipolar disorder anything like that if they smoke weed it has a reverse effect than a normal person that
0: is wild yeah and like even in court you know the experts were trying to say like oh no if he was doing that then he'd be calm and cool no
1: <laughs> what? No. No. Yeah. Yeah, I made my dad manic, like crazy. Yes.
0: Oh my gosh, yes, that yes. is Yes. That's nuts. wild. <laughs> so, the night ended like I'll admit, like I probably drank enough to not remember much, you know. Sure. But I also was beaten over the head with a wooden table leg, so you can't give me crap for not remembering the night like right because that's what ultimately happened to me so this night you're talking about it's the ultimate
1: assault right, yes,
0: now. and so we left the bar, and like there was two angels there that night who they had never gone to this bar before. And they were locals, but they just never went out. And they were celebrating the wife's birthday or something. Mm -hmm. And we were talking to them all night. And they were, the wife was completely sober, didn't have a drink. So she was able to give me a play-by-play exactly of what happened. No way. And what happened was I danced with this kid, Scott, who he was just, like, the local, like, you know, never really had a girlfriend, but, like, always was, like— Oh, yeah,
1: like the harmless guy on the dance floor. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And she said, Brett saw that. Brett ripped my purse off off of the bar and said, we're leaving, and grabbed me by the arm and pretty much pulled me out of the bar. Jesus. So, her account is obviously the true one. The bartender, who was a friend of Brett's parents, said that me and Brett left the bar happily hand in hand. Oh, wow.
1: Smiling. That's smiling. So. Yeah, he
0: testified to that, that we left the bar hand in hand, smiling. I mean, we lived in walking distance from the bar, but the police said that they saw tire tracks in the yard. So they think that Brett, like, sped us home.
1: Oh, sure, yeah.
0: And so I have absolutely no recollection of what happened. I woke up in our bedroom, like near the foot of the bed, in a pile of blood. Blood was coming out of my ears, my nose, and my mouth. Oh, my gosh. And this was about 4.30 in the morning. So I was, we don't know how long I was unconscious for, but I mean, I would assume probably three to four hours because, you know, the bars close at one. So depending what time we left. And so I literally, I thought that I was going to die. So my thought process was I'm going to crawl in bed and die comfortably, like in my own bed. It didn't even cross my mind to try to find the phone, nothing. So eventually I was not, you know, dozing off, not going back to sleep or whatever. And so I army crawled out of bed and we just so happened to have a landline because of our internet. We had a landline, and all it did was call 911. So I called 911, and I could barely speak. I mean, the the 911 call is the most horrible thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm so sorry. I didn't hear it until two and a half years later in court when they played it. Really? And the jury was like, the jury was sobbing, listening. To it. Poor thing. So hard to listen to. Yeah. And I was 15 minutes away from, you know, an ambulance and the cops. So it was a 15 minute wait. And I hollered for Brett. And, you know, at the time, I don't know how loud I possibly could have been because I was, you know, on the verge of death. Yeah. So I don't know if I was like, Brett, Brett, or, you know, yelling his name. I don't know. But I yelled for him and nothing. And so I thought that I was alone in the house. And then literally, like, minutes or seconds before I heard the sirens, he appeared in the doorway of our bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I have chills. Yeah. And he said, Kristen, what happened to you? Like, already trying to play it off. Already evil, yes. And I said, Brett, you did this to me. And he didn't see the phone, he didn't see that I was still on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. And I said, Brett, you did this to me. And he said, Don't call the cops, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. And I was like, Brett, I need to go to the hospital. And, like that was our last conversation ever, and I heard the sirens, and you know, I knew that my life had been spared. Oh my
1: gosh that's like a that's like a horror movie, honestly, listening to it. I'm so sorry, so what were your injuries? Just can't believe it
0: so I had a traumatic brain injury, a basilar skull injury. This is another thing. I had no idea about this skull injury that I had until trial because it wasn't on my ER records. And then um, it wasn't until the expert doctors testified and said that my injuries were consistent with this type of skull injury. I don't know how many stitches it was, but it took the doctor um, over an hour to stitch me up. I had seven broken teeth. I was unrecognizable, unrecognizable. <gasps> oh my gosh.
1: And you were, I think you mentioned that like your teeth were very messed up. So you're still dealing with that today, aren't you?
0: Yes. Like, I had literally flawless teeth before. And when I went to the dentist about a week after the assault, He was so, so, like, I've never seen a doctor, like, be angry about something that some, you know, he was so angry because he was like, your teeth were perfect. Your teeth were absolutely flawless. Like, I have never seen more perfect teeth in my life.
1: Your story might be the hardest by far I've listened to. Like, I just can't believe... You endured that. And then how long did it take for you to recover from your brain injuries?
0: Um, I mean, I had to just do follow-ups, you know, with neurologists and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the same person I was. Like, I have short-term memory issues, you know, to the max. And I think that's something that brings me to tears probably the most often is Mm -hmm. just every so often you know I'll go to my husband and I'll be like why can't I remember this like I went just like something little you know like going into a room and not being able to remember like or you know trying so so hard to remember and then being just so so frustrated that you have like no inkling of something that just happened a few minutes ago you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. But you said that, uh, you know, after the injuries and you were obviously in that small town, I assume you left that town immediately. Or yes. did you have your community behind you when all this happened? And then I think we mentioned something about like how there are people against you or blaming you for the abuse in that small town. How did all of that play out?
0: I mean, there was a few people who, you know, stayed in touch with me. But, I mean, like, I didn't really want anything to do with anyone. Everything kind of teetered off, you know. But there's still those couple that was at the bar. Right. She had to testify in court and stuff like that. So, you know, there's people that I'll never, ever forget. And I was very lucky to have my... Grandmother's house to go to, she, like, she lived on five acres and a 5,000-square-foot house. Beautiful. I had my own bedroom and my own bathroom. And I, you know, just the most, like, ideal place you could possibly think of. To feel peace and recovery. Yes. Mm -hmm. And safety, you know, because...
1: Absolutely.
0: And the police were, I mean, they were just absolutely amazing. They're like, Kristen, like, if you... We don't care what it is. Like, if you hear a weird sound, (laughs) like, you call us, you know? So
1: sweet, yes.
0: Honestly, like, only had to do that, like, once. But they're like, yep, we know who you are. We'll be right there.
1: Right, right. So may I ask, um, what was the charges against him? Is this case closed completely, or am I not allowed to talk about that?
0: Uh, Well, like, he's still on probation for one of the counts. Yeah, but it's closed. So he... Was convicted of armed criminal action mm-hmm. because weapon he used was a, he broke a side table. It was an antique side table, so it was like solid wood. And oh, he yeah, broke it yeah. into pieces and he beat me with the table leg from it.
1: Oh my gosh. So armed criminal action, I've never heard of that. So it's not attempted murder? Well, it's no. less than?
0: No, so he was also convicted of... Um, First degree domestic assault, which is oh, okay. the attempting to cause physical injury or death.
1: Right. Okay. Gotcha. So he did he go to prison? Yeah. So, like, what was his? Uh... So
0: he went to prison for three years, which was because of the armed criminal action charge, because the armed criminal action is the only hmm. um, charge in the state of Missouri that has a mandatory minimum sentence because a lot of states have done away with um, mandatory minimum sentences.
1: So first-degree domestic assault, an attempt to harm or death, that doesn't have a minimum sentence in prison. I don't know why that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that he got 10 years for, but it's ran concurrent to the armed criminal action and that's one of those ones where I don't really understand how, I always thought that like violent crimes that you had to do 85% of the sentence, but sure, yeah. that's what I thought, but I don't know. He got out after... Three years, and then if he, you know, f- were to fail his probation, then he would go back to finish the 10-year sentence, yeah.
1: Okay, wow, wow. So, how long has it been since he got out? March. Oh, so recent.
0: Yes. I mean, I took it a lot better than... I expected, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you're with your
1: husband for five years, you said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just like, it's hard for me to unpack your story. And I mean, I'm just amazed at, you know, your strength and resilience through all of that. And now you have an amazing husband. Like we spoke about this before we got on the podcast. But I mean, tell us more about him and let's try and, I guess, see your transition out of that. And how did you do it? And like, what would your advice be for people who get out of something that severe? Yeah,
0: so... My husband, Curtis, we met at work and one of the biggest things, and it it wasn't that he wasn't wonderful. Like our first date, something he said was, he said something along the lines of like, if you don't have enough money for both of you to eat, like she eats or something cute like that, you know, or. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then once I met his parents, like, that was, like, the biggest factor that, like, made me feel safe. Like, when I met his parents and realized, like, how good of people they were and how they raised their sons. And then in oh, addition yeah. to his parents meeting his brothers, who are just wonderful Men, you know, and Mm -hmm. wonderful to their women, you know. So just seeing all those relationships. It
1: confirmed it for you. Yes,
0: of how his family treats women. I'm like, okay. It's so important,
1: yeah, isn't it? I mean, it is really sad how, like, abusive cycles, they do repeat more than often um, than not. And then, I mean, I could relate to that too. Like my ex's moms, they were kind of degrading or like they kind of put me down. And in return, like their sons would put me down. You know, it's like- it's crazy how it just really does correlate. It's how they're raised. So I, I completely get that. Like my fiance now, his family is like my family and they treat you with respect and this, all the sons and the daughter, like they're just so respectful. So exactly. that's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you guys been married? Five years. How long was it into your relationship before you told him all the stuff that's happened to you in the previous Well,
0: <laughs> okay. So this is Weird and funny now looking back. I obviously suffer from PTSD. Yeah. And like the beginning stages of PTSD are very manic. So when I first met my husband was like just extremely open about it. Where now, like, where I would tell, like, a stranger, like, where now I'm not, like, hi, my name's Kristen. And, you know, I was beat over the head with a stick. But, like, that's, like, literally how I was when I first yeah. met him. So, it yeah, was, yeah, it was I get like, what you mean. yeah, right off the bat, like, he knew what he was dealing with. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't change it, you know. That's the way to do it.
1: That's amazing. Most people struggle with that really hard. And I know my mom and I did with our relationships. But yeah, I think Open's such a good way to go. So they're used yeah. to it. They know how to help you and you don't have to struggle inside of yourself for sure. Yeah. All of the things you went through and now you have a healthy relationship and not only with him but the family and then turn helps you with other people like on this podcast. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your story and I don't know. It's so hard to listen to, and I'm still digesting yeah. <laughs> it. But I guess tailing off of that because um, we have to wrap up and sometime soon. But um, <laughs> I know I like don't want to end, but I know I have a limit. Um, so I guess to wrap up, what is some advice you would give? I guess to any woman or man in your situation in that severe isolation, maybe hopelessness, and what would you advise or tell yourself? Um, If you could go back.
0: Honestly, like, no matter what situation you are in, you can leave, like, and you can start over. Like, I was blessed, like, to have my grandmother to go to, you know. But even if it's going to, like, to the Salvation Army, if that's going to save your life, do it. Yeah. Because... Because it is truly life or death. It is. It truly Mm -hmm. is. And my life was spared. But, I mean, you can start over. You can start from scratch. I started from scratch. And, you know, people will come out of the woodworks to help you. I love that so much. Yeah,
1: I, I just, seeing my mom and everything, she her family and friends and everyone really cut her off. So I saw her start from scratch as well. And I from speaking to all these victims, they more than ninety percent of them started from scratch. And it's it's extremely, extremely hard to leave. And I don't think people who can't relate to the situation or they haven't been in a situation like this or don't know someone in this situation. They just I think that's the one issue about domestic violence. It's so isolating, private and it just seems like impossible sometimes to get out. Absolutely. Just, I'm so happy that you've made it through and you're, you just sound so strong to me. And when I email you, you're just such a light Thank and you're so you. a upbeat. And even when you're telling your story, you're so strong and just inspiring to me like I don't think of you as weak I don't think it's embarrassing I think you are a better person for it and now you're helping other people as well so I just really really want to thank you for coming on and thank you
0: and thank you for letting me share my story oh
1: my gosh of course like I just wanted to keep going um now that I know you're in Missouri we're gonna have to meet up for coffee actually
0: oh that would be amazing yes
1: um but yes thank you so much again um I would love to give people your contact info and uh, you have have Instagram, obviously, or Facebook. Yeah,
0: I will share all that for you. Perfect.
1: We'll share all of your contact info and anyone listening to this, feel free to reach out to Kristen. I'm sure she has lots of wise words for anyone going through something or struggling. And uh, yeah, I'd love to collaborate with you more on piece over pieces in the future just to get you on board because I feel like you're just a force of power. So thank you so much again.